Start making your way back to your seats, and as you do that, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Now before I have you stand as we read God's Word, let me say two things up front. First off, um, again, welcome. If you're visiting with us, my name is Michael Matala. I'm privileged to serve as the lead pastor here at Newbreach and, and returning the holidays, but we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, let me give you a little bit of direction as to where we're going to go as we start this, this new year off. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at a standalone sermon, um, just kind of thinking through the new years. But then beginning next week, few weeks, kind of looking at ecclesiology or what makes a church a church, how it functions, how it runs, how, what your responsibility is as covenant members. And so we're, we're excited to kind of dive into that beginning next week. Uh, but, but as I mentioned, we're going we're gonna to take just this Sunday uh, and look at Matthew chapter 14. And let me say this. So I, I realized that Matthew chapter 14, you who have been around for a while might remember, oh, five or six years back where, where I looked at this text. But I looked at it on a Sunday morning when I realized 10 minutes before the sermon was going to start that I was preaching the sermon that Sunday. Uh, so a pastor at the time who was going to preach had an emergency come up, had to leave, and so get excited, it won't last 15 minutes or so this morning. But even when we were in that series through Daniel a couple of years back, I referenced Matthew 14 in, in a little bit of detail at the beginning of one of those sermons. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, and consider this idea of resolving this word together. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22 and reading through verse 33. Matthew records this. He says, immediately he, and that he is Jesus, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. And Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would give me physical and spiritual strength, strength to preach your word to your people, for we are ready and listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Resolving to be faithful. The first Sunday of the new year for us. We made it to 2022. Congratulations, everyone. If you're here, it means that 2021 did not kill you. Many of us, though, may not have grandiose plans for this year. Let's be honest, the past couple of years have been tough, haven't they? In the midst of a pandemic, patterns and habits have been forced to change. We went through a season where everyone who has children became homeschooled parents, whether they wanted to or not. 
Even over the past week or so, our holiday plans may have had to change or be adapted to make sure that family members were safe. We've seen natural disasters. We've seen tumultuous political reactions. Some of us in this room have had personal struggles and losses that we know about that people who might be sitting right next to us have no idea we've gone through. It's been a tough year for us as a church. Many of the rhythms and routines were changed. I don't know, for me as a pastor looking at it, it felt like we as a new breed were really starting. But even with all those difficulties, there still seems to be this inescapable sense of anticipation and possibility as the new year dawns. Perhaps you've got it in your mind that this is going to be the year that you get your finances in order. Perhaps this is the year that you'll get married or that you'll finally have children. Perhaps this is the year you'll get that promotion or that new house. seems like great potential. At the start of, uh, of a new year, many of us make resolutions. We, we state at the onset of the year what it is that we hope to accomplish this year. And so this morning, as we consider Matthew chapter 14, I, I'd like to offer up a resolution to you. And maybe you're like me and you didn't make any resolutions this year. I didn't. I, I didn't make any resolutions. I just didn't want to feel like a failure in February. So I have a resolution that I would encourage you to make, one that I, I am going to make and strive to keep. And maybe you're a person who you made a lot of resolutions. Now let me just add one more to your list, which may in reality be the most significant resolution to keep. And what I'd like to propose this morning is that we, specifically those of you who are covenant members of faith, be faithful. But let me get a little bit more specific as to what I mean. I resolve, I commend to you that you resolve to be faithful with the little things. You know, it's interesting, we in Christian circles, we tend to even, these gigantic things happen in their life, right? Like we love the story of the person who took the monumental leap of faith and sold all their possessions to go and do missions in a third world country. We, we love that. I, we, we love the stories, or at least I do, because I'm kind of a history nerd. Maybe some of you are like me. Like, I, I love the stories of the church father can't said, here I stand, I can do no other. That's bad, right? Martin Luther was a bad dude. Or, or take Polycarp, who remained faithful to death, and when he was at the stake, getting ready to be burned alive, they lit the fire, and the fire didn't even consume him. It went around him. And so because they couldn't burn him, they, they just this. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he's done me no wrong. And Polycarp goes on to say, how then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Polycarp was a bad dude. In front of a nation that hated him because of the color of his skin and declared, I have a dream. Right? We have these individuals and we look to them. And it's not that they don't deserve respect because they do. But we look at them and we say, that's what faithfulness looks like. That's how you really glorify God. But here's the idea that I want to commend to you this morning. Of 2022. Faithfulness is not won or lost in the big moments. Faithfulness is won or lost 
in the small moments. And just to clarify, not small or little in them and put that much stock in them. And I think we see this here in Matthew chapter 14. Now, this is a story that if you've been around Christian circles for any amount of time, you've probably heard it before. Peter walking on water, right? And this story of Scripture is one that's fairly well known among Christians. This is a common children's story. This gets talked about in children's church uh, across this world. I mean, what makes for better entertainment than a man where I'm convinced that we may not see the full picture that God is trying to paint here? So let me explain, and some of you have heard this before, but let me explain how we typically understand this story. We skip over the whole first part of it, and we jump right to the moment when they're in the boat. And Peter says to Jesus, if it's really you, command me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter, firm with, it, with a head shake, uh, or some of you, if you're really brave, you can actually open your mouth and say something to me. You'll be okay, I promise. But this is how we typically know the story, right? That Peter steps out of the boat, and he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. And as long as his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he's able to walk on the water. But the moment he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he sees the wind and the waves and begins to sing. And so the moral of the story that we so often hear taught is that if you will just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you'll be able to do great things like walking on water. Now let me say this. There is a sense in which I believe that to be true. That is a good lesson, and Scripture teaches the significance of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. The problem is it's just not in this text, even though we often give him the most attention. And even if Peter would not have sank and walked all the way to Jesus, he still wouldn't be the hero of the story. This is a side note for you. Jesus is always the hero of the story. He's always the hero of the story. This story, as much as it is about being faithful with the little things. And so I want to I try to walk through this text and, and show you that truth. So the story begins there in verses 22 and 23. These are the verses that I think we often skip over, but in my estimation, they're some of the most significant verses in this entire section. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by was there alone. Now, we have to remember what this event comes on the heels of. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. And immediately after this incredible, miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat and to go across the lake and to meet him on the other side. Jesus gives for sending them away from sending the crowds away is because he wants to spend time in prayer. Now, there is some speculation about why Jesus would send the crowds away on the heel of such a miraculous display. And some people have argued, based on John 6.15, that, that Jesus knew that the crowds wanted to make him king. And he came one by force to make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So, so it was not uncommon in the ministry of Jesus for Jesus to do this miraculous thing. The people say, see it and say, that's our king. And they wanted to force him to be king. But Jesus knew that his king kingship wasn't going to be established by feeding some people some food. His kingship was going to be established by his death and by himself. 
Now, some have contended that he sent the crowds and the disciples away to orchestrate this entire event that's about to take place on the boat with Peter attempting to walk on water. But ultimately, the significance for Matthew as he writes this is not in the why. It's in the what. And notice it says that he prayed for hours. He prayed. Now, normally we'd skip over that to get to the good stuff of the walking on water, right? But I think we need to pause here for just a moment and and consider the magnitude of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God in flesh, after what must have been, rather than relaxing with his disciples and recounting the day, he wants to spend the time with God the Father in prayer. This is faithfulness. But we've got to dive into this a little bit deeper because there's a lesson in it for us. We have to ask the question, why? Why was Jesus faithful to pray to the Father? I know we got a lot of visitors. You don't know me like that, but this is the best place to be honest because I'm probably not going to see most of you again unless you'd like to join Newbury Church. We can schedule a membership class. (laughs) But let's be honest for just a moment. Often our motivation to do the things that God has called us to do is to win the favor of God or to try to earn the love of God. We might not say as much, we act like that. I got to be faithful or else God's not going to show me favor. But, But the interesting thing is what we learn with Jesus is that Jesus was being faithful and it wasn't to win the favor of God. Because he already had it. All right, now now that didn't hit exactly like I thought it would. So let me say it like this. Cannot be so that God will love you more. And too often we get caught into this trap of thinking that we are saved by grace, but we're loved by works. And we think that we gain more love from God when we are faithful and that God takes away his love when we're unfaithful. But here's the struggle with that. That kind of motivation will always run out. And the reason it will run out is because sooner or later you will realize that you will never be faithful enough to earn the love of God. But here's the good news. The gospel proclaims to us that even when we are at our worst, God loves us for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let the weight of that sit on you for just a moment. God proves his love for you in that while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not send Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins more. For those of us who earn it, Jesus, will God's love remain even when we struggle to be faithful? Please hear me. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, your God and Father cannot possibly love you any more than he already does at this moment because right now, he says that nothing you can do will change that because his love for you is not based on what you have done. It is based on what Christ has accomplished. And unlike so many of us, the love of God does not waver when the recipient I'm talking about 
Some of us have cut people off because they voted differently than us. Some of us have cut people off because of one harsh thing that they said to us however many years back. We are quick to cut people off. I praise God that he is not like us. We now, his love is perfect. And so perhaps as we resolve to live faithfully, faithfully this year, we do so not with the motivation to win God's love and favor, but because of the fact that in Christ we already have it. God is already for you. You don't have to earn it because Christ did that for you. So like Jesus, we can faithfully pursue the Father, not to earn His love and affection, but because we already have it. So let me press on here. So Jesus, painting a picture of faithfulness, seeking prey. Now, this is interesting to me. We have no indication that the disciples put up a fight. It appears that they were obedient. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But, but let me mention this. These two verses, verses 22 and 23, reveal three interesting things about to reveal the divine plan of Christ. They reveal Jesus' divinity. It's by no accident that the disciples are heading out into the sea by themselves. With Christ being God in flesh, he is well aware of what is about to happen to them. But Christ is providing an opportunity for the disciples to reveal their faithfulness. But it's not how we think. Knowing, as the one who holds the world in the palm of his hand, that he is sending his disciples out into a storm, into a raging sea, in order to give them an opportunity to prove their faithfulness. And what's interesting is God will do the same thing, that same thing for you and me. I mean, 1 Peter 1 verses 6 and 7 tells us you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and gold, and gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our Savior in his divinity will put us in hard circumstances to test and to reveal our faithfulness. God allows us opportunities to prove our faithfulness. And so what that means for you and me is that each and every moment of our day, the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly, or to not be faithful. But notice also the humanity of Jesus. I love the fact that Jesus, being fully human, needed time to himself to speak with the Father. Even on the heels of such a magnificent display of the glory of Christ, Christ displays the necessity of time with the Father. And so this just causes me to reflect on the fact that if the perfect human needed time with the Father, time to dwell with our great God. But I want to come back to the, the obedience of the disciples because the third thing that we notice in these two verses is the initial obedience of the disciples to the command of Christ. I mentioned earlier, there doesn't appear to be any indication that when Jesus says, get in the boat, I'll meet you on the other side, that the disciples put up a fight. But, but I think that, that we need to look at the disciples who did not want to leave Jesus. I mean, think about what just happened. The miracle of feeding the 5,000. They just watched Jesus do this incredible thing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm around somebody that can do that, I'm going to want to stay with him. And yet Jesus goes, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get in a boat. Yet when Jesus called them to get into the boat and head on without him, they do it. 
You know, one, one commentator noted this. I thought it was particularly helpful. He says, and indeed, we do not truly and perfectly obey God unless we implicitly follow whatever he commands. Listen to this, though our feelings may be opposed to it. There is always the best reason, no doubt, for time in order to instruct us not to be wise in ourselves, but to depend entirely on the expression of his will. Here's what he's getting at. Sometimes faithfulness means trusting that Jesus knows best even though you think something his throne and that his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. And so when he gives instruction and when he gives commands, even though we might not fully understand it, we trust that God knows best and we live in a culture right now which is pressing against that. If you can't give a definitive reason as to why, because God said it isn't good enough anymore, then the pressure is to bend and to fold. But what we are reminded is that God either choose to trust him when we can't see what he is doing or we will trust ourselves. And some of y'all, I'm not going to go around, it's early in the year, could testify that trusting yourself doesn't always pan out how you think it would. Let me mention this, though. This also teaches us a significant lesson that obedience to commands does not necessarily constitute faith. We can follow rules without faith. And at first glance, the desire is to praise the obedience of the disciples for getting in the boat to meet Jesus on the other side. But as the story progresses, we will see that their willingness to follow the command of Christ did not necessarily indicate that they had real faith. Distance from the land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them, and Jesus came toward them walking on the sea early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So what is taking place is that the disciples are likely out towards the middle of the sea of the middle of the night. The original language indicates that they were probably a few miles out into the Sea of Galilee. They were getting beaten up by waves. The wind was causing it, was making it nearly impossible for them to maneuver the boat. And you've got to understand, you've got some seasoned fishermen on this boat. Peter knows the danger of being in the water in the middle of the fishing, and the wind is making it nearly impossible for you to move. Scripture reveals it was at the fourth watch, around three or four in the morning, that Jesus comes to them walking on water. And verse 26 is a very telling verse. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. And so they cried out in fear into their hearts. Let me sum it up for you. Basically, the disciples' fear at see, seeing Jesus walking on water reveals that they were already lacking in faith. So even before Peter stepped foot on the water, he was already at a faith deficit. You kind of get the inclination, this isn't going to go well for you. And you might be thinking, well, picture, right? Jesus sends them out. It's the middle of the night. The waves are getting bigger. The wind is making it impossible to maneuver. There were already probably some doubts rising up in them. And they might have been asking the question, why in the world would Jesus put us in this situation? Have you ever been there? There are some moments in my life where I look at what's going on around me. I, Jesus, why would you put me in this situation? 
I mean, I can imagine the disciples thinking, he must have forgotten about us. I've been there. So have you. But remember what we just mentioned. Every hardship is an opportunity allowed by God for your faithfulness. There was a lack of faith while walking on water. He showed a lack of faith when Jesus came walking to him. So at this point, we should already assume, as we mentioned, that walking on water isn't going to go well for him. If you don't have faith in the little things, how in the world are you going to have enough faith to walk on water? But this is not just my assumption. Scripture tells us that they didn't have faith. Because when Mark recounts this story in his gospel, Mark says in Mark, and they, utter, and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So what Mark does is Mark actually takes it back to the miracle that happened before that. He says they didn't have faith in the boat because they didn't have faith when Jesus fed the 5,000. They didn't even understand who he was then, so they're surely not going to understand him now. They already didn't have a good moment. And so Peter, before he ever stepped out of the boat, was destined to sink because he lacked the faith necessary. So we find the disciples here afraid, and Christ says, have courage, don't be afraid. Now, now this is the part of the story that we typically know the best, but I think we often get the most wrong. Verses 28 through 33, it says, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. So again, Jesus that, that he put his feet out one by one over the side of the boat. He dangled his toes over the water. You can imagine it starting to lap up and touch the bottom of his feet. And that first, first touch of the water felt cool and crisp. And, and he had faith and he looked at Jesus and he had such faith in Jesus that he started walking on the water to Jesus. But then his eyes started to drift. He saw the waves. He saw the wind. And he began to sink. And things around you, you will be able to walk on water. If Peter could have kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he would have made it to him without, without sinking. And again, I don't think that's necessarily a wrong message, but I don't think it's what the text is trying to teach us. Here's why. Peter had no option but to sink. The decision to step out of the boat would lead Peter to sink in the waves. And here's where it gets interesting. I don't think Jesus ever wanted Peter to get out of the boat. Now, you may ask the question, well, hold on, Michael. How can you say you don't think that Jesus ever wanted him to get out of the boat? Why then, when he says, let me walk to question? Sometimes when we ask Jesus for something, he tells us no to protect us. But sometimes he gives us the foolishness we want to teach us. Again, we could probably go around this room and you could testify that there have been some moments when God were you. The most faithful thing that Peter could have done was stay in the boat. And there's one verse of scripture that changed how I saw this text. It's, it's when Mark tells his story of Jesus walking on water. And in Mark 6 verse passing that if you grasp it changes the entire narrative. 
It says he came toward them walking on the sea, and listen to this, and wanted to pass by them. Jesus wanted to walk right past the boat. Jesus planned it, but he meant to pass by them. Why? Because they were meant to stay in the boat. Because remember, the initial call to obedience was get in the boat and meet me on the other side. Jesus told his disciples, this is what it looks like to be faithful. I need to have been flashy. It wouldn't have been made for a great story. We wouldn't have this spectacular children's lesson of Jesus walking on water. It would have been somewhat mundane. It might not have made it into the Bible, but it would have been faithful. And I believe this, re- this understanding is reinforced. Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And here it is, here it is. And when they got into the boat, the wave ceased. So notice what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not pick Peter up and say, no, that's not what he did. What did Jesus do? He put him back where he should have been the entire time, back in the boat. Here's what I want you to see, and you've heard it from me before, but let me remind you again as we start this new year. Faithfulness is one in the little things that so many of you want to make right now. Faithfulness is not one in selling all your possessions and being willing to go to the nations. Faithfulness is not one in the big things. And here's how I know this, because Jesus has never needed you to do big things. Often I think we get it confused. Again, we're we're being honest. We get it confused in thinking that Jesus needs us to do great things. These grand gestures of faithfulness, somehow Jesus will be lacking. Can I share some insight with you that I hope won't discourage you but will free you a little little bit? Jesus is going to be on his throne no matter what you do. And Jesus is going to accomplish his will with or without you. And do you know how I know this? Because I know the story of the cross. I know the victory that he won and the power that he has. Because let me remind, writer said, the only thing we contributed was the sin that made it necessary. Jesus lived perfectly in this life without you. Jesus was obedient to the Father without you. Jesus went to the cross and he didn't need you. He died in your place and rose from the dead. And it wasn't your power that raised him from the dead. It was his own and he stands you. Jesus doesn't need anything from us, but because he loves us, he desires that we would be in fellowship with him. He desires faithfulness. Is won or lost in the day in and day out grind of being faithful to the things that we often consider mundane and inconsequential. Can I be honest with you? I've said that a lot. I've been honest the whole time. Faithfulness is one when you're willing to get up and when you are willing to sacrificially give of yourselves for the good of your covenant community even though you're tired. Faithfulness is one when you're willing to turn off Netflix and open your Bible. 
Faithfulness is one when you tell someone you see every day at your job, on your campus, or in your home about Jesus and his amazing grace. Faithfulness is one when you are willing to see the hero of this story. He is the one who paints the picture of faithfulness. And it's painted in the first two verses when he goes up on a mountain by himself to pray. That's faithfulness. It's not Peter. It was never going to be Peter. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is painting a picture for us of what in the world can we ever expect to have walking on water moments. And I know that often at this time of year, people want to hear this rousing message about how you can do great things for God. And I want you to hear me say this, and I mean it. I believe that each and every one of you can do great things for God. But the only way that that will happen is when you're willing to be faithful with the little things. If we are not faithful, because remember little things, is not to have walking on water moments. Our goal is that we would reach the end of this life and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And for most of us, we will hear that if we're willing to stay in the boat and meet Jesus on the other side. If you want to bring God glory, this often deem as insignificant because when it comes to faithfulness, It will be won or lost in the small things. And so as we begin this year, if we resolve to do nothing else, let us resolve to be faithful. Let me end with this final word. One one part of the story that that even when we sink, he reaches out his hand to pull us back up. He loves you. And we see that love most profoundly and most clearly in the cross. Though we had rebelled against God, though we have sinned against him as cosmic treason, though we have have tried to play God in our own lives, and he had the right to destroy us as the sovereign God of Jesus did live the perfect life that we should have lived. And he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And three days later, he raised from the dead. And in that resurrection, death and sin and the grave was defeated. And God invites us into fellowship with him, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has accomplished. And we get to live as children of God. Your faithfulness will not earn God's love, but we are privileged to be faithful because God loves us. He loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word and and what it teaches us about you and your love for us, Lord. We have the privilege to be obedient. We have the privilege to live as your children and to honor you, for you have done more for us than we ever could have done for ourselves. You have given us hope and life and salvation in Christ Jesus. And so for that, we give you all the praise all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.